Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Jana Ronner, to our show today. Jana is the founder and chairwoman at Image Skincare, a clean clinical skincare brand powered by proven ingredients and smart botanicals. Jana's journey began growing up on a farm where she learned the value of hard work and determination. Despite having an entrepreneurial spirit from a young age, Jana ended up working for Fortune 100 companies and found great success in different sales and marketing roles. Later in her career, she came to terms that she wasn't happy at all and realized her passion was always in skincare. She took a leap of faith, left her secure job, went back to school to become an esthetician and started working at a doctor's office for minimum wage. She wanted to immerse herself in the industry and eventually that led her to creating her own product line. Today, Image Skincare is a global brand with over 25,000 customers across 60 countries and is the number one spa and salon professional skincare brand in the US. In our interview today, Jana shares why you need to follow your heart and gut when it comes to making career changes and the importance of being aware of both your personal strengths and your weaknesses. She opens up about overcoming imposter syndrome, how she created her first product line with zero money, and the challenges and biggest learning she faced during the early days of her business. Jana talks about the power of visualization and how we can all think even bigger about our goals and our dreams. She also shares insights in her most recent business venture, Hush and & Hush, and highlights the differences between launching a business in today's world versus 20 years ago. Jana's journey shows that anything in life is possible with hard work and patience, and I know this episode is going to leave you feeling so inspired. Welcome to the show, Jana. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, I'm excited to jump into it. I am admirer of your journey of the slow and steady role of entrepreneurship. You've been in this game for decades. This is going to be a great interview because there's going to be just so many words of wisdom from you. So I'm excited about this. And before we go into your story, I'd actually love to get your advice on or thoughts on what you think maybe the top three fears people have that prevent them from getting started. You know, that's a that's a really good question. I think that there's always a fear of failing, I think is probably number one. I think when you take that leap to become an entrepreneur, and you take that leap to start your own business, there's that little self-doubt in the back of your mind, a fear of failing. And I think there's also probably that fear of taking a big risk because you have to certainly jump out of your comfort zone in order to make any sort of bold moves. And I think we all have that little voice in our head that say, what if this doesn't work out? What do I have to lean back on or fall back on? But I think the advice is you should always fall forward, not fall back. I think that's 
pretty important in life. I never look back instead of falling back. Maybe you need to just fall forward and just move forward. That is so powerful, Jana. I have goosebumps with you just saying that. I love that. Fall forward and not back because I feel like anything amazing in life, and we'll get into your story, takes risk, taking that chance, falling forward many times. So I love that you brought that up. And I'm curious, you know, having that conviction is so powerful. And I'm so fascinated actually about your upbringing. You know, you grew up in a farm, both very strong entrepreneurial parents. Have you always had that conviction and confidence from a young age? I just would love to hear more about your upbringing. I mean, confidence in, in my opinion, is something that you really get from your parents early on. They can either be a team that says, yes, you can, or perhaps a team that says you cannot. And I was very fortunate that my parents were really team us girls and team Jana. I have three older sisters and they gave us a tremendous amount of confidence in anything we could do. But you only get confidence by doing. You've got to do it to get confidence. And I see in this younger generation and even with my own kids, I don't think everybody needs to get a medal just because you participate. You know, I don't think just because you're in a race that everybody should get a ribbon. I think there are people who win one, two, three, and there are people who don't get one, two, three. And so I think early on, my parents were all about winning, about being number one or the best that you could be. And so the confidence came from them pushing us to do things that were absolutely out of our comfort zone and instilling in us a sense of accomplishment when we did achieve those tasks. So I think it came on early on and I've been so lucky to surround myself with people who are very accomplished, who are doers, who problem solve versus, you know, tell me all the problems and I think that that kind of follows you through your life. Gosh, I love this. I have so many thoughts around what you just said. And one thing that stands out, you know, you mentioned you build the confidence by doing and hard work and you were in such a fortunate position to have that. But for anyone who's listening, who's like, my parents weren't the most supportive. I think what you said, doing every day, showing up and the hard work is so key. And one thing that I know your dad really instilled in you guys is, you know, maybe not giving you the trophies if you weren't winning, but the practice of hard work, which I think to your point, which is so important, especially when starting a business, because I think there's this mentality of let me get a business off the ground. We're going to hit a million in one year. And I think we forget that running a business or just life in general, right? It's tough. And you have to put one fourth in front of the other and everything is hard work. Nothing good comes easy. And I think you're a huge example of that. So I love how your parents have instilled that early on. And I'm also curious about, I'm taking this another way about your relationship with money. You know, you had a business when you were younger. I'd love maybe for you to talk about that and maybe how you really thought about money and, you know, hard work at that time. That's such a great question because, you know, a lot of the mentors in, in my life have asked me about the relationship with money. And early on, we had a bank account. We earned money for chores and, you know, we, we always understood the value of money. And so I think if you understand it early on and you're not fearful of it, I always watched my parents during tax time lament over how they were going to pay the taxes and just the deals with the farms. And my parents always let us participate in those conversations. I would go to the bank with my dad 
I saw him negotiate loans and deals. And so I think when you are associated with people that work in the money world, which we all do, right? It just becomes second nature. And it's not something that makes you nervous or scared about taking a risk. And also from a young age, and you know, I've been lucky that my parents also did that, knowing that hard work sometimes can equal money. And there's nothing wrong about making money with hard work and taking those principles as a kid and now applying it to your business. I'm always so fascinated. You know, I also grew up in an entrepreneurial family and I feel like sometimes it can push the kids away from it because you see the highs and the lows, right? You see the behind behind the scenes of your parents pushing themselves hard. And I'm sure for your dad, there'd be good seasons with farming, right? And there'd be bad seasons. Do you think that kind of pushed your direction to the way you thought about your career before your entrepreneurship ventures, like right after college? Yeah, I think it did. After college, you have this thought in your mind, this trajectory of, of working for like this Fortune 100 company, or which I did in sales and marketing. And, you know, I understood that I started at the bottom and I knew where I wanted to get to. But I just realized after 10 plus years, it didn't make me happy. You know, my heart wasn't in it. And I, I realized also that I enjoyed much more being the boss and leading than being a follower. I think when you you kind of make that recognition of what really creates passion and happiness for you, it's much easier to take that leap. I love that. And did you have that idea that, let's just kind of go back to that first job. I believe you were there at that Fortune 100 company for nine years or in that base, which is quite a bit of time. Did you have that knowing inside you always that you wanted to be a boss? You wanted to go after, you know, what you wanted to bring to life? Or did that come through putting in the time, putting in the work to really discover your passions and who you were at the time? I think it was a little bit of both. And I think that I always aspired to work at the highest level of management that I could. So therefore, I really tried to develop relationships as as high as I could in my career to surround myself with those people, to see what I really like about their management skills and how they treated people and what I didn't like. Because I think early on, I grew up, I was always educated that sometimes in life, you got to figure out more what you don't want versus what you want. And I knew on a farm, I did not want that. I did not want to milk cows. I did not want to cut thistles. I did not want to bale hay. I knew that I didn't want to work the land, although I love, you know, good food and, and I understand the value of that now. I mean, I didn't even realize growing up that we ate all organic. I thought we were just poor and we had this garden and we didn't get all the fun stuff that other kids did. But now I realize I, I literally grew up 100% organic, everything, the chickens, the eggs, the food. And that also makes a big difference, as you well know, running your business of, you know, your own health and your mental health. So I think I, I realized what I didn't want. And then I really pushed for the things that I really did want. And I wanted freedom. I always knew I wanted freedom. It wasn't about so much the money, but I knew I wanted freedom. And I knew that I wanted to be able to chart my own course. I wanted to be the pilot that flew the plane wherever I wanted to go. So that's kind of what was instilled in me that kind of pushed me into running my own business. 
That's really powerful. And I think that's important to talk about because there are probably women listening today, and I've been there myself, who were working in corporate or working in a job that we don't like. But the biggest gift, and I'm just underscoring what you said, because I think it's powerful, is biggest gift is understanding what you don't want. So sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves. And I've been there. I'm like, gosh, I know this isn't it. I have all these aspirations to start my own business, but you don't know where that is. You don't know what the right next step is. But the biggest gift in where you are today is to really sit down and think about, okay, what are things I don't want to do? because you bring that into your next career or your business. And you know, even for me, I'm not doing the things that I disliked in the many people I worked under. So there's a big gift in what you said there. And I'm curious, you talked about how money wasn't always an issue for you and not the priority for your dreams, but you were working at this company for nine years. You were doing significantly well, right? And you left it all, right? To like kind of start from the bottom. So tell me more about what was the real turning point for you to be like, you know what, nine years, I've had it. I'm going to go after my passions. Like what was that defining moment or moments that really push you to take that leap? I remember that moment exactly. It was in Corpus Christi, Texas. I had met with my vice president of sales and we went out to a Mexican restaurant and we're having a margarita. And he asked me, where do I see myself in five years? And I said, I see myself in the C-suite. And he leaned back and he said, that is never going to happen. This company is a privately held company. They do a billion and sales. And there has never been a woman, this was 25 years ago, in the C-suite. So if that's what you want to do in five years, he said, I suggest you do something else. And I said, are you suggesting that I quit this job? He said, I'm suggesting that you find something that if that's what you want to do, if that's your passion, I recommend you find that passion because it's not this. So the next day I started writing down all the things that I loved and that I'm passionate about. I quit that job. I moved back to Houston, Texas, and I went from six figures to zero. I went back and got my aesthetic license, and my first job as I was licensed, I was making $5.15, and that was in the year 2000. Five, that was the wage, 5.15. And I worked my way up. And so I knew that I wanted to get into beauty and aesthetics, and that was always my passion and my love and my dream, and that's what I was going to pursue. So talk about a 360. It was really a 360. And talk about my parents, my friends, they thought I was absolutely crazy. And did they support me? Yeah, to some degree, but... Not really. They thought it was just such a pipe dream that I would get over it, you know, that I would somehow come back to corporate America where I belonged. And that's not what made me happy. I was miserable. Talk about an imposter. That's where I felt like an imposter in that corporate world. I just did not fit in. I could fake it pretty good, but I didn't. It did not make me happy at the end of the day. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's 
spelled B-E-E-Y-A wellness.com. And check out the show notes for a promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. My gosh, I cannot believe. I mean, it's funny because it's a blessing that he told you that even though it kills me that he said that, but it pushed you to really be like, this is not where I want to be. What are my passions? And I think so many of us forget what our passion and purpose is until we're at that point where we can't deal with our boss or that job anymore or in a position like you. So it's interesting to see how that pushed you and you really had the conviction to leave everything, go back to school, start again from zero. So I'm curious, you know, this clearly was a big jump for you. Your parents, family, everyone, I'm sure even your colleagues are like, what are you doing, Jenna? This is nuts. Did you know in your heart that you wanted to start a business in the world of skincare or were you just having an open mind to let me follow my passions, let me get educated and I'll figure it out? Like how was your mindset at that time? No, my mindset was I knew the steps that I needed to do in order to have the credibility, build the trust and learn the business. That's the hard work that it takes. So that took three years working behind a chair, learning the business. You know, I then started leading the, like the aesthetic team. So I worked with all of our now competitors and really great brands. And I saw how their company run and I saw their, their sales reps that would come into our office and pitch their products. And I learned about ingredients and I learned about their corporate culture. And after looking at that for several years, I thought to myself, I think I can do this better. I can make a better product. I can make a product that has more stuff in it that smells good, that is clinically proven. And I certainly believed that I could build a better culture than I saw some of these huge companies where the reps just did not even care about the customer or have a passion. They cared about money. That's number one. Number two, I saw a culture where it wasn't really a band of females that was driving the decisions. And so working in a very male dominant organization, I knew that there was room to have a C-suite of all women that were either estheticians or very passionate about this brand. Everything from picking up the phone, having an esthetician talk to you, having an esthetician in the C-suite, you know, because when you, that is your wheelhouse of something that you love and you surround yourself with all of these warriors that love the same thing, there's nothing that can hold you back. Absolutely nothing, you know, because we're all marching in the same direction. This is so powerful. I love what you just said. And I think to your point of you learning the business and starting from scratch is so, so important. And just sharing in case it's helpful, even for me, because when you go from corporate and working at a billion dollar company, in my case, I was a banker. So I was working with billion dollar businesses. You think you're ready to start your own thing, but you don't really have perspective. And I think working for a startup or a business, you know, in your case, really in a field that you want want to learn and you're interested in is so fundamentally powerful. And I did the same thing. And I think it gives you the confidence to be like, oh, I see how this business is running. I would do it differently. And it makes the leap to go off on your own thing a little bit easier. It's still tough and you got to like go for it. But being under someone else's paycheck to learn how the business works and for you to really understand, do you want to have your own business? Do you enjoy this? I think is so, so powerful. So I love that you did that. And you know, it's interesting, the theme of just males dominating different industries, I'm sure even back then it was way more prominent to now, but you were working on a company that said, you know, we don't have any women in the C-suite. So like figure out what you want to do, leave. And then you work in a doctor's office in skincare and you're realizing, my gosh, it's still male dominated. Did that ever hold you back? Or did you ever have any imposter syndrome when you wanted to create your brand? 
Or did that really give you the feel to be like, F this, I'm going to show them how to do it. And you had that spark. I think it gave me the fuel. And I think that, again, going back to the earlier conversation we had about knowing what you don't want versus what you want, I saw within those businesses, with the competition, with the culture, with the strategy of what I didn't want to do. So I was really fortunate to have that experience to then know what I want to do. And when I talk to entrepreneurs about their idea or their passion or where they want to be in the later stages of their life, it has to be driven around the best product, the best people, and the most passionate group that you think you can band together to support that. Because you can't be an island and do it alone. You start on your own, but if you want to get to the top, you need an entire group of people that think the way you do, have the same vision that you have, and that really want to be all team, you and the company. And so that's what I didn't see these other companies had. And it's interesting because, you know, when you first start out, I'm not saying people are kind of behind the scenes laughing at you, but when you say like 20 years ago, you know, the first employee said, someday we're going to be the number one professional skincare. And I remember her shaking her head. She was young, but I could see in her brain, she was like, this lady's crazy. She doesn't have any much money. She's going up against the, these big companies. But again, slow and steady wins the race. There is no overnight success. It takes years to get there. And so when you have that vision and you articulate it even from day one, that whole visualization of what you think in your mind those things happen. Those dreams become realities. You got to put the hard work in to know all about why you're trying to do something different and how it's going to resonate in the community. I love this. And I'm curious, you know, obviously 20 plus years in and I'm just in my entrepreneurial journey. And I feel like one thing that stands out is, like you said, staying the course and always continuing to keep that broader vision in mind and stay motivated and inspired, right? As an entrepreneur, you have days, which we'll get into the early days of your business. And I'm sure you deal with this now too, where every day you're not always going to wake up and feel super excited, super motivated. Like before I hopped on this call, you know, something had happened. I'm problem solving in my head. And I was like, all right, I got to compartmentalize that. We're going on this interview. There's always things happening. So looking back on your journey, what has helped you stay in the game, stay motivated, has helped you kind of stick to that broader vision? Because it's so easy to kind of let that go and get lost sometimes. And some people kind of quit at the end of the day. So what has kind of helped you sustain in that process? I think the first is just kind of that mental board or whatever you do to visualize what you really want to be when you grow up, if you will? What do you want this company to be? And from day one, I said, I want to be the number one professional skincare brand in America. And you have that vision. That's one of the things that got me through. I think the other element that gets me through is just the amount of people that you believe you can touch in your life to make a difference. And if you quit, then you're going to go back to doing something that maybe you don't touch lives. And I knew that along this journey, how many women I could help, how many customers I could help. And now we have 30,000 spas in America that use image and we're in 60 countries. I didn't think about that number, you know, when I started, but when the slow and steady, you chart that pathway 
of where you need to be. And if you quit, you're letting a lot of people down, including yourself. I think the vision and the mission always has to be at the forefront of your mind. And not only with you, but your entire team. You have to constantly tell them, good morning. It's Monday morning. These are our sales goals this week. And remember, we're going to be number one someday. You have to constantly, continually let that resonate and bake in your brain. So that little knob, that little element of self-doubt, I don't think I can do this. I'm not qualified enough. I don't have the right education. You have to let all of that go because anything is possible. And I love that you said, and this is a theme in a lot of our interviews, and it's so powerful. You know, you talking about the mission and I think starting out, right? Not everyone's going to be like you said, it took so long for you to get global, to be in all the salons. And you just want to make sure that you're excited about changing one person person's life and then two person's life, right? And I think that's the biggest gift, especially if you have a mission-driven company that's impacting people's lives. And I'm curious, going back to the early days of your business, I know you've mentioned in another interview that, you know, the first year was tough and then a few years later you got traction. So maybe you can at a high level talk about what those early years look like and kind of maybe your trajectory on when we were like, okay, we're on to something, like I'm seeing some changes. I mean, the early days was literally me carrying a demo bag, rolling it around, knocking on doors and doing educational seminars to educate, you know, these potential customers of this new brand and why we were different. So that's not easy. It was myself and one other person. You wear every hat, you you pack boxes, you answer phones, you're the shipper, you're the accountant, you're the coffee maker, you're the problem solver. And that's a lot on your shoulders. It's very stressful and can be really lonely. I think the first days for me was really lonely, you know, because you're out there and you're peddling your goods, if you will, and nobody knows about you. So it takes a lot of hustle. And we didn't have social media back then. We didn't have the avenues to really get a very big reach. So it truly was very much grassroots. And, but that was such a good learning because when you listen to customers about what they like and what they don't like, then you should be able to pivot quite quickly and correct the things that they're not liking. And I think the listening skills you learn are very important in the early years of your business to listen more than you talk sometimes. Yeah. And it's incredible to think back then, right? There's no social media. Like you said, it's purely grassroots, word of mouth, you creating a product that people love, hand-to-hand combat. When did you realize that you're like, okay, we're now on to something? Did you know it by the way people lit up when they would try your product early on? Or when were you like, okay, this is going to be a business and we're ready. Like I see the traction kind of happening. I think I saw it pretty early on because we, you know, Estee Lauder was always a role model for me. And she was really one of the first women that brought to the market what's called a GWP, a gift with purchase. I don't know if you remember, you'd buy a mascara, you get a free bag. You'd buy a lip gloss and you'd get something free. And so I took kind of that same concept with our little, I know this sounds so small, but the little things create big things, right? We started off with these little sample kits of a cleanser, a serum, a night cream, and a sunscreen. And it was about a two-day little kit, right? And I would tell customers and at education seminars, I'd give these out free. And I'd say, if you don't see a difference after you empty this tube, then I don't want you to ever call me or do business with Image. They called me and they said, I'm telling you, the first night I felt a difference. It smells better. It feels better. My skin is this. My skin is that. 
what you told me is happening. So that develops trust, but it starts with, you have to have a really great product because the best marketing, the best people in the world can't develop trust if your product isn't superior to something they've used in the past. So that's key. You can't fool people. You might be able to for a short time, but they don't stay loyal. And that's why a lot of brands fail. You don't have that loyalty of exceptional products, exceptional culture in your company, and a real passion with the people who offer the service. A brand can't make it, especially in today's world. It's highly competitive. Absolutely. And I want to talk about your products, right? So I know we kind of glossed over the ideation part and you working with chemists, but what's so fascinating is the products that you worked on 20 years ago are still your best sellers. So maybe we can talk about, I believe your first product was around rosacea, given your own skin experiences. So tell me more about the timeline around how you found the right people, right? You didn't have a chemistry background. So maybe just the ideation and how you came up with such an innovative product so early on with no money, right? So even like talking about the capital aspect and how you funded yourself at the time. Yeah. So getting back to the money. So when I decided to make this leap, you know, the first person that I called was my father, right? You call your family. I told him my business plan. I gave the number of what I thought I needed. And uh, there was a very long pause. And I said, what do you think? He said, I think when you go talk to a bank to try to get this loan, you know, you've got an, an uphill battle because you don't have any collateral. You've never run a business and you need X amount of money. And I said, well, I was actually calling you because I was hoping that you might be able to loan me the money. And he said, I'm not going to loan you the money. He goes, if you want to do this, you need to do it on your own. And he said, but if you're passionate enough, if you put a great plan together, if you show this banker what the possibilities are in the future, I have a good feeling that you're going to get that loan. So that's what I did. But it took me 18 different banks in Houston, Texas, before one small little bank believed in me and gave me the loan. So you just can't quit. And that banker, after 20 years later, every Christmas, I send him a Christmas card and I send him my financials and he can't believe it from zero to this. So, you know, it goes back to people believing in you and not quitting. So that's on the, on the money side. On the product side, you also have to know what you can do and what you can't do. And I wasn't a chemist and I did not have any experience in the laboratory, but I knew from working in the field and working with all these products, I knew what needed to go into that bottle to make it successful. So I researched and I found chemists that thought like me and I found a lab that I felt like had a culture, what I would want to work with, right? And because the culture is very, very important. You know, if you can't get along with people and if you don't have this connection where in the tough times, you guys are going to stick together, there's going to be a divorce. And if there's a divorce early on with a lot of your suppliers, that creates a lot of havoc because you're totally changing formulas and your customer knows it. And I think early on, you really need to make sure that there's not going to be a divorce with your suppliers, that you really like one another. I think that's very important because to your point, I think sometimes in the beginning, like you said, you went through 18 bankers. I'm sure you went through even more to find the right partner or the right chemist. It takes time. And when you're so fired up, especially as entrepreneurs, we just want things done 
on. We want to execute. It's very easy to just be like, oh, I think they're good. And I think they're good enough. But I love that you said that because I've seen to your point, just so many people not have the right partner that just wanted something out quickly that it ultimately ended up being difficult for the business. So I love that so early on. That was such a focus for you. You really have to be very detail oriented when you start a, a, a company. You have to dive into every single detail of that business, especially with the product. And you can't, you know, outsource it to somebody else. So I think that's super important. And I love that you said, knowing what you don't know, I talked to so many women who are like, you know, I want to start a business in this field, but I'm not an expert. I don't have a background. And I think sometimes it's a good reminder. And just from your own story, you don't need to have all the answers. Like you said, you need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And you can find the right partner. You can figure it out. So I love that. Never really stopped you from creating to this day, one of the most innovative products and now product line. So I just want to underscore that. And I love that your dad, you know, obviously I'm sure he could have loaned you the money, right? But he wanted you to kind of learn. And I'm laughing right now because both me and my husband are entrepreneurs. We don't have any kids. And we're like, how do we instill the work ethic in our children, right? They obviously are going to grow up in a more blessed life. And I'm like, if they want to start a business, I kind of want to say what your dad did, figure it out. We're here to support emotionally. But I love that he, you know, kind of pushed you because it's that hard work. It's that grit that pushes you 20, 30 years to have the number one business. And I think sometimes as like second generation kids or third generation, having that grit and hard work kind of gets lost. So I'm now going around a different tangent, but you, I know you have children right now. How are you thinking about instilling that grit and hard work? Because clearly, right, your life is very different than how your parents raise you different opportunities, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts around that. I mean, I'll give you just a really small example. I have twins that are 13. My daughter's a tennis player and her girlfriends like Lululemon and Lululemon skirts are about a hundred and some dollars versus a skirt at Target that almost looks identical for $17.99. So if she wants that hundred dollar Lululemon, she's going to have to do some work and some chores to get a hundred dollar skirt. And she does. And it could be as little as walking the dog, making your bed, you know, getting all A's. I mean, we tell our kids, your job is education and to be the best you can be, which for us is straight A's, right? And so that's one small example of instilling. I think another example is we travel a lot and that's one of the things that is our hobby, you know, that people have a lot of different hobbies. Some have shopping, some have, I love to travel. And when we like to travel, we like to try to get to the highest class as possible, either with miles or pay for it. But our kids have not earned that right. So they sit in economy. And when they are able to afford to get an upgrade or to have a business, they'll be able to fly business in first, but now they fly economy. And that's something that they really want to do. They want the flatbed, they want the comforter, but they're sitting upright with a neck roll right now. So I know that's a little thing, but I don't think you should give everybody the silver plate until they've had a chance to know again what you don't want. They don't want that. They, they would rather be, go to the left in the airplane to business or first then go to the right to economy. So it's just a small example, but it resonates very, very loudly to teenagers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this because I actually was thinking about this, you know, again with my husband, I was like, I don't know how I feel about our future kids. You know, of course we have miles and all these things we upgrade sometimes. I'm like, I don't know if I would want them. And he's like, what, you're going to put them? I'm like, yeah, I'll put them in economy because it's like a value of hard work, right? And I love even to your point of the Lululemon, it sounds simple, but it's so profound. And that's something my parents did to me 
And it just kind of always pushed me to work hard for money. And I've always had this internal motivation. Nobody gives me anything in life. I have the confidence that I can go out and get it, whether it's monetarily, whether it's with my skills. So I love that you're incorporating all these things. And it might sound simple, but I think it actually is going to show them what hard work can get you. And having a mother like you as a role model of everything you've built is so powerful. You know, so I think that's really cool. I'm always curious about once you've made it and you've built this business, like how you kind of instill that in your kids, because it's been such a big part of your life, my life. So it's always interesting for me to see. But I think, you know, that it's certainly more in life what you do than what you say. And I think kids watch a lot more of what you do because what you say kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And I think that same principle holds true with your your team, your employees, the people that work with you. They certainly watch more than what you do than an hour meeting of what you say or a handbook or you know a pamphlet because if you're not walking the walk they probably won't talk the talk and i learned really early that it's it's a lot of times what people do when people aren't watching that matters the most and can you give maybe from a business perspective like one or two examples of that well i i think the biggest example is you know when the company was starting to do very very well i had a lot of sales representatives i was starting to build my management team but yet i would still travel around and do education i would still if if the phones were ringing i'd pick up the phone if a customer was unhappy i'd try to solve their problem if shipping was super busy i'd go back and see how i could make their job a little bit easier and so you try to do the things where you see people are struggling and try to support them and say, this is what I've learned, or have you thought about doing it this way, or just showing them the way that maybe you have been doing it. And that may, you know, rub off and they may want it to do it the same way. So I think nothing should be beneath you in your job. Absolutely. And I love that you still maintain that, especially with such a massive business, because I think it's like going back to how culture is so important. Having that entrepreneurial culture, you know, no matter how big you get is huge and probably why your business is still so innovative. Number one, like you need that kind of a skill set and culture to kind of stay relevant, right? And always forward thinking. And I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but I'm curious. I'd love to maybe if you can talk about how you kind of self-funded the business. I know you started with a loan and then eventually a little bit later, actually most recently, you ended up bringing a private equity firm. So how have you thought about funding and bringing in a partner eventually in the business? Certainly you have to look how the market is doing and where is your industry or your competitors, where are they going? And if you want to leapfrog ahead of them or be at a position of height or excellence, you generally need a little bit of funding to scale that. And so we were able to get, you know, 10, 15 years without being funded by anyone, but funded by the company and our own giving the revenue back into the company. But there comes a point where I think everybody needs a little help and you can get to here, but maybe what got you there can't get you to the, to the second phase. And so we went out and searched for a, a partner. We luckily found a great one. Again, a good culture fit. I think you have to look at the culture of that company who's running the company, who's the CEO, who's the chairman, and see if it fits the way you believe. When things are good, everybody gets along. When things go south, for whatever reason, 
that's when you really realize how you guys are going to figure this out. And if you guys don't have the same culture, or if it's a culture of cutthroat or not working through the problem or getting rid of the problem, you have to look at that. We were lucky with our partner, MidOcean, that they have the same philosophy that we do and the same thinking that we do. So it's been a really great relationship. But a lot of my friends who have had partners, it hasn't gone so well. And I'm not sure if it hasn't gone so well because they didn't do well, or maybe they chose the wrong partner. But I, I think that same thing applies in your business, your life, your friends, who you marry. You got to make sure that, you know, it's probably the right one because that can be devastating when things break up. Yeah. And even it's interesting to see the market conditions that we're in. Obviously, it's been impacting certain startups. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, tough conversations happening with well-funded businesses that my friends have and people that I know of. To your point, it's so important to bring the right partner in life, like you said, in any situation. But, you know, let's talk about business that, you know, will be there when the times are tough and is not going to strong arm you in a certain way. Because I've also heard that, right, when people bring on partners. So how did you vet that? Did you just know culturally? Did you spend time with them? How did you personally feel like, okay, this is, they're the right partner for me. You know, some of it's intuitive. You have to follow your gut. But I think if you were kind of to give a one, two, three, number one, you, you have to look at their track record. How have they treated other companies in the past? Your history will say a lot about your future. You know, they say the zebras don't change their stripes. They can, but it's not very often. That's number one. Number two, I think you have to look at the longevity of people who have been in that company. Because generally, if you've got a strong leadership, people don't want to leave. They like it. They believe in the company. It's growing. But if you see these leadership teams transitioning and there's a lot of attrition, that's the second thing that I looked at. And the third thing is you have to do spend time with the leader of that organization and see if your core values fit. Did they hustle? Did they start this business? Was it given to them? All of these things matter when the tough times come. Because when sales are up, EBITDA's up, gross margins are flying you know, high, everybody's going to love you. It's the tough times that you have to make sure that partner doesn't strong arm you. But again, you also have to be, you know, innovative enough to know what your limits are of what you can and cannot do. What you can and cannot do. You're saying with the partnership. Yes, that is correct. And that's probably being clear from the upfront with the right terms, right? Absolutely. You know, you talk about what you want to do day one, but let's talk about day 365 or, or year five. Where do they see this going? And you got to make sure if you want to stay in the picture, you've got to make sure that they see you in that picture. And that's what I see a lot, where they bring on a partner and then two or three years go by and say, oh, we don't, we don't think we, we need you anymore or we want you here. So you got to have kind of those tough conversations up front and kind of have a vision and a mission for that next phase of your business. And, you know, it's always so interesting. I can't imagine, right? Like you're the lead in your business. You're the CEO for 20 years and you're bringing in kind of like a partner advisor that comes in and kind of like sees your baby, right? Like how you're doing stuff, all your systems. And I think getting that third person perspective is so key. So I'm curious with them coming in, what were maybe some of the things that they, I don't want to say change, some things that they brought up that you might not have thought of by yourself prior to partnering with them. I think they've changed almost everything honestly, about the business 
other than the culture and the products. They've helped me understand to maybe upgrade talent. Again, people that get you here may not have the ability to get you to stage two. That's one thing that they've really opened my eyes. I think from a technology standpoint, they've really helped me understand the power of technology and how important that is. So we have a chief technology officer now, which I'd never thought about having because technology in today's world really drives productivity. If you don't have really great data, you can't really see the whole picture of your business. They showed me how big data is very, very important. And I think just financial engineering that I did not have the experience with, that they knew how to financial engineer things better, you know, and you have to realize why you bring a partner in. And those were the reasons why I did. And so it's been a very successful, you know, successful journey. You know, I was listening to another interview where you were talking about this and you mentioned something that I've been thinking about. So it's interesting you brought up in terms of, you know, sometimes you can bring in like a fractional CFO, I guess, going back to the theme of bringing some type of expertise, because sometimes as a startup, I can't afford right now a full-time CFO, nor would they have that much work to do. Maybe you can talk about if people are listening that might not know what fractional mean this opportunity out there that might be interesting for you know businesses like mine i think for the listeners number one outsource to the highest degree that you can afford and i think the two areas that are important for you know having a fractional or outsourcing or a part time or a person that deals with you one day and then another company the other day try to get the very best that you can afford as it comes to finances. Because in the end, you're passionate about your product, probably the sales process, probably the people side, but the financial side, you really need a lot of support to understand gross margins and EBITDA and supply chain and all those different things. So that's what I would highly recommend. On the financial side, you need to be very strong. And also to make sure things are accurate. Like I have a finance background, so I think for now it's good enough, but I'm like, my gosh, there's so many people that could miss this and that. And there's so many moving parts that even sometimes I figure out later. So I can see that being super imperative starting out. And I know businesses, women on my podcast who ended up having massive businesses that were like, I wish I brought that person early on. And they don't lean into finance, just they're more of the brand, the innovator, the inventor. So um, it's good advice to have. You definitely need to lean into that. And even if you have a finance background, then you go one step further and make sure you have a really good group of auditors that audit those books. Because the first thing, if you ever want to get a partner or expand your business, whether it's a banker, private equity, um, any sort of capital, they want to make sure that your books are really solid, that there's not any holes, that there's not any things that are a little quirky. So numbers really matter. So I'm curious, Jana, looking back at the last 20, 30 years, I mean, I know you always had the goal of you guys being the number one skincare product amongst professionals, but did you ever envision the business would be at the scale and where it is today? You know, I mean, I'm humbly going to say I did. That was always the vision. Did I know it would be 60 countries, 30,000? Did I know that number? No. I humbly always knew that we would be at this scale. And that's why even when you're number one, you think, well, what's next? There's a lot next. You know, I mean, there's, there's a whole medical channel out there that we, cause we're number one in the spa, but who's to say that you can't be number one in spa and medical you know? So that's kind of the next big 
uh, shift that we're, we're taking to be number one in the global professional market. So you, you can't just stop there. And, um, and I think you learn that you, you would think that after 20 years, you would think that from a competitive standpoint, you know everything and you realize you don't know anything because there's so many new indie brands. There's so much new technology. And if you don't stay innovative and humble and realize that your competitors love to knock number one off the shelf. So you have to be even more on your toes, even after all of these years. But um, that's why you have to have a great team. You know, you can trust to do that. And I so appreciate that answer because what I hear from you, and this is just a good lesson for anyone listening, including myself is think big, right? I think a lot of women and listen, I catch myself and I have these conversations with incredible women like you every week. So it's a good reminder for me to see what's possible, which is why I love doing these podcasts. So I'm so excited. Hopefully women listening get inspired, but I feel like women don't think as big as they can. And even for me, I have to step back and remind myself what's the big big vision. So I just think it's so amazing that you've had that early on because I think that is so imperative if you want to build a massive company. And that's not for everyone. You can be financially doing well with not a big business, right? So I'd curious to get your thoughts on that because I do think sometimes people think, oh my gosh, I have to have that $100 million business, that $500 million business when you can actually do very well for you and yourself if you wanted even a smaller business. I think that makes a thousand percent and I think it goes back to kind of that, what, what are you putting on your vision board? What do you want? What kind of freedom do you want? What do you want to build? You know, is the number one important? Is so much money in the bank important? Is it, I want to have this house or this second home, or I want my kids to go to this school, or I want to go to this school. Again, until you really write down what you want for your life in general, and I knew that I wanted this to be number one. I knew that I wanted to really empower and change women's lives. I knew that estheticians could make six figures in their business if they had a great product and great support. And, you know, I also knew that I wanted freedom. And I'm so lucky and fortunate and I'm humbled that those are the things that I've got now. I'm trying to pass that on and doing these types of podcasts to inspire women that whatever you want is possible, but you do have to think big. Yeah, I love that. That is super powerful. And you know, there's two last points I want to close on. I know we're getting up into time, but one of them, having twins and ha running a high growth business, I'm sure isn't easy. Again, we don't have kids yet, but I love asking this question because I think it's always helpful to see like what worked for you, any advice on what it was like to have kids and run a business or taking it a different way. If this resonates more, like how has it changed you as an entrepreneur to have children, like having kids did it kind of change the way you thought about the business or how you show up every day? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, for me, I wanted to live, leave some sort of legacy. And I also wanted to be the type of parent that my parents were. I fall short a lot. I really sit back and sometimes even get teary eyed, like, you know, am I doing the right thing? Would my dad have done this? He passed away a couple years ago. My mother is 90. So yeah, but it's really inspired me to kind of teach them how to be a good citizen of the world and how to be a change maker and how to be a trailblazer, you know, and, and those are the things that are important to me. So I still want to 
blaze different trails, not only in skincare, but in philanthropy and giving back and kind of really helping women let that self-doubt, just get that out the window. And if you want to do something, you know, I want to help them get there. That's kind of my path forward. I love that. It just shows how clear you are about your own mission, even with kids, like the fact that, you know, you want to leave a legacy like that inspires you in so much of what you do in life, business, not business, philanthropy. So I just love how clear you are about just every aspect of your life. It's it's super inspiring. And I'd love to end, you know, you have a new business. I'd love to hear more about the impetus of that and maybe, you know, what it's like to start a business now, since I'm sure it's so much different than 20 years ago. It is so much different. So, you know, from a topical skincare, I love topical skincare between products and peels and treatments in the treatment room. But I've also kind of learned in this journey how important it is internal. You certainly know that, right? And there's so much technology today I had not seen in the beginning that could treat aging, acne, pigmentation, wrinkles, overall gut health, and how all of that is important from an internal standpoint. So we started this new little company called Hush and Hush. You know, Hush is like, you don't want to talk about your age. And so a little play on words, right, about aging and that, that treats those things, you know, and I think with aging, there's like three things that happen. Your hair isn't as good as it used to be. So there's a product for hair growth and hair, hair aging and a, and a collection and supplements for wrinkles, pigmentation and acne. So those are the things and dehydration that, that you get when you're aging. So I found it really fun. The business is very different, you know, from we, we invest a lot more in social media and a lot more on um, TikTok and Instagram. And so it's a whole new world, but hey, you know, self-care and wellness and the whole aging process, it takes a lot of people to, to get you there. So, but it's been fun. It's been fun. And it's been fun because, you know, now the, the people that we hire for this little company, their real passion is the wellness, you know, the, the internal beauty. So you got to find that group that dials into your mission of what you're trying to accomplish. So it's been fun. Yeah. And I love, again, you know, the same core mission around you starting a business because of your own problems and wanting solutions. And I think, you know, I have gone through that and I feel like that is just so nice to have as a founder because you really understand it really keeps you connected to the mission because you're going through it. So I love to see that parallel between image and now hush and hush with what you're bringing into the world. And well, I love this, Jan. I feel like I could talk to you for so long, but this was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's so inspiring to see what's possible. So I so appreciate it. Yeah, it's been really an honor to also chat with you. And I feel like you're going to have good things ahead of you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire. <laughs>